chapter 6. All right, I am going to begin with a story today that's going to help frame our conversation. So in Matthew 6, we are in the middle of Jesus teaching us what's known as the Lord's Prayer, how to pray, how to communicate to God. And in that today is the whole idea of forgiveness, looking to God to forgive us of our sins, and at the same time, our forgiveness towards others. So Chris, if you just turn down my gain, that should help. Um, so as we talk about this conversation, I want to give you a story that's going to help talk about the whole idea of forgiveness. Forgiveness is directly linked to your faith in God in the Bible. It's directly linked to your relationship with God and to your relationship with other human beings. And it is an extremely powerful idea. And in this idea of power, it's not the power of ability, it's the power of authority. And this is the subject matter that we're going to sit in this morning. So for those of you who don't know, I work outside of here for, it's called the National Christian Foundation. So this foundation sits in the sphere of Christianity and philanthropy. So our love for God and our relationship for God with God and our love for other human beings. So this is the, the, the sphere that this foundation sits in. And in this, we stand as middlemen in regards to people's relationship with the Lord and all the gifts that the Lord has given to those individuals. And in the tax code, all this special stuff allows our entity as a public charity to receive these contributions that as they're granted out, this is all going towards the advancement of the gospel. So I get to be a cog in a very large Christian foundation. It's one of the largest charities in America. There's a bunch of large charities. But this is the sphere that I get to sit in throughout the week. And I want you to have this idea of big because in the idea of big, we're going to bring it down to really small. When I say big, in over the last couple of years, so from 2 to $3 billion with a B, is granted in and the same amount is granted out. And this is to all, all of it is to advance the gospel. Awesome field. So in this, I'm going to let you in on a little trade secret. As a Christian foundation, guess what? We're not perfect. <gasps> We're filled with people as employees. We're filled with people in our those who would be identified as our clients or our customers that we're walking alongside of, and those that are the recipients of the grants, filled with people from all walks of life, all different life experiences, different relationship with the Lord. So in that, there comes a lot of relationships. And in those relationships, there's a lot of pain. And in that pain, there's a lot of need for grace, mercy, and forgiveness. And this is how this comes up. So Friday, I am working in my office. I had a meeting from 3.30 to 4.30 on Friday, which is just rude in and of itself, right? You're not supposed to have meetings on a Friday afternoon. We try, this is time that we try and protect. But right literally two minutes after I get off of that meeting call, I have a coworker calls me through Slack. And if you know Slack, it's got this really annoying ring and I answer it. And if you know my personality, I didn't answer with, hey, how are you? I answered with, 
why in the world are you calling me at 4.30 in the afternoon on a Friday? Because that's me and everybody knows to expect my harassment. So she proceeds, the first comment out of her mouth after her giggle was, well, I'm in the doghouse of X entity with you. So in my department, so you sit in the big mothership of NCF. Within my department, we serve, a, we serve 70 organizations that, whose finances roll up into NCFs. So there's a legal relationship, um, but there's very specific. They're kind of like private foundations, but they get public charity status in their relationship with NCF. You're welcome for the accounting. By the way, I'm going to teach you all accounting today and the idea of forgiveness. You're welcome. So in my department, we sit in these relationships with very specific clients. There's one of these clients that's, you know, assets 10 to $20 million, so decent size in regards to the clients that we work with. In their activities, the assets that they have are sitting in brokerage accounts earning money. So this ministry, in regards to what they're doing in the, in the public sphere and the love of man, I'm going to keep confidentiality here, but I've been to their board meetings. I've been to their annual meetings. When you hear the stories of what they're doing in regards to serving human beings, you would be in tears because they are doing a very good work. They are doing an awesome work. And those assets, the earnings from those assets support the work of the ministry, two to three million dollars a year. So I'm taking this big picture and boiling it down to small for you. So this phone call on Friday came about because this entity had a few hundred thousand dollars worth of grants. So they're writing grants that are going to these other entities that are doing the work of the ministry that they are involved in. It's all awesome. Well, in the midst of this $300,000 in grants that's going out the door, the bank account got overdrawn by about six, $7,000. So I'm taking multiple billions of dollars of assets and I'm funneling it down to this issue of about six grand, okay? Big piece of the pie or small piece of the pie? Totally small, insignificant. But my coworker's in the doghouse because it's her responsibility. She did not pay attention to the cash flow and the cash management, and invoices were submitted for payment. And rather than paying attention to the cash flow need and going and say, hey, we need to make a transfer, money went out the door, bank was overdrafted, bank contacts the ministry, and the individual that's responsible for that ministry is now upset. This individual I've been in the doghouse with, and other people have been in the doghouse with, just in their personality, they don't have very much grace. They don't have very much forgiveness. Now, that's not a condemnation. It's just this is how this individual is wired. Us as uh, as you know, we're providing these services, we didn't serve the client well. The client wants to know what happened, why it happened, how we can make sure that this doesn't happen in the future. But in this, my coworker's feeling a lot of that weight. She's hearing a lot of the harsh language and the cutting to the point of you have an, in, you have an entity that has over $10 million of assets. This individual doesn't want to fund the bank's shortage as a power play until we communicate and we fix whatever the cash flow problem was. Everybody sitting in this, in this tension? 
So as I'm sitting with my coworker and encouraging her in that relationship, you made a mistake, you learned from the mistake, she doesn't have the authority to go and talk to the client. It's above her pay grade. So her boss and potentially her boss also, a couple of other individuals are gonna need to stand in that gap as a mediator to define how we messed up how we're gonna correct it, and how we're gonna make sure that it's not gonna happen in the future, and try and iron out that relationship with a person that doesn't have very much grace, but everybody in this relationship, everybody's a believer. Different personalities, different walks of life, and I really have no opinion on who's right, who's wrong, or any of that stuff, but I'm sitting in a relationship circumstance on Friday where my coworker needs to forgive an individual that she can't communicate to. And the individual, how she's feeling that pressure of her mistake, it may not have a direct correlation to how this individual is really feeling. They're managing an entity. And in that management of an entity, those who are performing the function made a mistake. And she's hearing from, you know, a couple conversations later about what she's perceiving to be a very heavy hand towards her, and she has no opportunity to like make the relationship right. So how does she come about forgiveness in that circumstance? And this is where we're gonna get into this idea of power. My conversation with my coworker is don't allow somebody to have power in your life that they ought not to have. We all make mistakes. We all fail. There is grace. There is mercy. As I'm sitting with her, she doesn't have the CPA after her name. So this mistake of hers is feeling, it's making her feel inadequate in her job responsibilities. And we have others that perform her same job function that do have the CPA after her name. But I was able to encourage, like, I know the other personalities. I know this entity. I'm not any of these individuals' bosses. But if I was the manager, I'm able to, you're the best woman. You are the best individual to serve this entity without a doubt. And all of this is going to get ironed out. But to, one, to encourage her. And two, that encouragement is so that she has the power of forgiveness in a relationship with God and she has the power and that authority of forgiveness in her relationship with another individual that she can't really iron out and she has to trust in mediators to help iron out that relationship. So as we sit with Jesus, Jesus is our mediator. And we have all of these failures, all of these mistakes and they need to be dealt with and they were dealt with on the cross. But Jesus stands in our, in our, as a mediator in that relationship with the Father, ironing out all of these sins and all of these issues. Does this make sense? It's going to make a lot more sense as we travel through this. I'll point back to that subject matter as we continue here. So in Matthew... We're just going to jump into the prayer, into this context. But what I do want you to remember, Jesus is communicating and he is teaching about the kingdom of heaven, his kingdom, his father's kingdom, and what righteousness looks like in his kingdom as a gift and what righteousness looks like in our life, in our behavior, in relationship with him. This is what he's focused on. So in the prayer, he's telling us, in this manner, therefore, pray... This is Matthew 6, verse 9. 
we need to remember, again, this, is, this can be a, a, pray, a prayer that you are speaking specifically to God repetitiously. Um, we use it as an outline. But all of these things are ideas that when you communicate with God, we, over time, as we grow and mature, all of these thoughts are going to become central to that communication. And that first one is you're talking to our Father in heaven. And we're praying for his name to be holy and devoted. His nature, his character, holy, sanctified, dedicated, devoted in our lives. And having that realization of who are we talking to in prayer. All that God is, this is who we're communicating to. And as we're talking to God, we're asking for his kingdom to come and his will to be done. Recognizing usually there's this need of, there's opposing kingdoms. Our kingdom, our employer's kingdom, the world, the devil's. There's these other opposing kingdoms. God, we need you to rule and reign in the kingdom of of you in our hearts today and we're looking for your will to be performed because your kingdom has rules you have plans you have purposes and i'm submitting my life to who you are and to what you want is the foundation of this prayer and then he pushes into what we talked about a couple of weeks ago give us this day our daily bread providing for us grants to us is all this idea and this provision and then in verse 12 is where we're going to really press into today. Forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. Next week we'll deal with temptation and deliverance, his deliverance. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And then in verse 14, it continues this idea of forgiveness. If you forgive men their trespasses... If you forgive other people their faults, their mistakes, their errors, their crimes against God and against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Jesus' language, he is directly linking your relationship to him to your relationship with his creatures, other human beings. The whole idea of the greatest commandment is to love God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, that first commandment. The second commandment is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus tells us all the prophets, all the law, hang on these two major ideas. And the major idea is God is the creator of the heavens and the earth. He's the source of everything, but he's created human beings to image him. So in a relationship with him, this relationship is based upon faith. Faith is that access of forgiveness. As we sit in that relationship with him, now it's this translation of our outward behavior towards other human beings that as he has forgiven us, I am going to image him to you. I'm going to forgive you just as I've received forgiveness from him. So this is this idea of prayer often our communication to God is there's a portion of it that's going to be praise and glory and remembering who he is. And that's awesome and great and it's necessary. You have your needs. God, I, I need this. I don't see this. I don't understand this. We're going to God and asking for him to be a provider. But often we're going to God with our list of 
here's my prayer request for other individuals that I love and that I like and that I want to succeed. And here's those on the other side that I don't like so much. And here's how they hurt me. And here's how they offended me. And here's how you need to get vengeance for me upon them, Lord. So this prayer that Jesus is leading us into is this idea of, Father, I am asking you to forgive me of my debts, what I owe you my sins, my mistakes, my crying. And likewise, I am going to forgive others their debts towards me. And then Jesus has given us that warning. If you forgive others on the horizontal, you will be forgiven by God. Now, that's not giving um, a qualification to your faith. Uh, God uh, granting you his righteousness by faith only if you do this work. It's a definition of the work that God is doing in you, the change and the transformation. He is going to bring about his forgiveness in your life towards other individuals. And if you're seeking to hold on to unforgiveness, then you're really holding on to disobedience and rebellion to your creator. And this is the subject matter that we're going to sit in this morning. Now for accounting. You ready? You got to think a little bit. This is using accounting terms. So in, in accounting, the idea of a debt is something that you owe. And this is what the Bible uses as, a, as an illustration and an image for us to understand our relationship with God. And here's the idea. God is the owner. So when you sit in a balance sheet, you have assets, things that have value, you have liabilities, which these are debts, and you have the owner's equity, the net worth, the net value of everything. When you sit with God, you have to strip away the whole idea of a balance sheet because he is the owner. He is the source. He is the worth. He has all equity. And in creating men, male and female, he took his equity, what he is, and in making man, he gave Adam and Eve the asset of himself. So when you sit in a sinless relationship with God, the asset of life has been given by the source of life. There was a balanced relationship there. When you bring sin into the equation, the asset is now overwhelmed by this liability. So sin's are referred to as this liability. And here's, here's the issue. The law is something that adds debt. And we're going to sit in this idea in Romans in just a minute. But the law doesn't give you any... Um, it's nothing that you're able... It's not a debt that you're able to pay down. And here's the picture. So when you use a debit card... A debit card is a debit because it's an expense on your income statement. It takes money out of your cash account and pays for the expense. Takes your assets and immediately covers the expense. The picture that's given to us here is that of a credit card. So in our moral relationship with God, we are continually swiping, tapping, inserting our credit card, and the liability is building up. The issue in regards to this moral debt and this moral liability is that there isn't an asset on your side of the ledger 
that is capable of paying down the liability. So the moral liability that we have towards God, what we owe him as his creatures, continues to be compounded over time. And this is the image of the cross for the freedom and the victory and the forgiveness of sins, that forgiveness of debt means that that liability that's on the ledger is removed fully out of the equation. And the owner, God, his equity is now one with the assets of life that he has given to you. There is no longer the liability. The asset equals the equity. That's the gift that God has given to us. Now, as we build out this imagery a little bit further, a lot of us want to consider our strengths as an asset and our weakness as liabilities on our ledgers. And this is what the gospel conveys to us. God, in creating you, his gift to you of the assets of life, there is not a single thing in his gift to you that is a mistake. The color of your skin, being man or woman, being rich or poor, being born in this country or that country, at this time or that time. Whatever you would want to identify, being short, being tall, whatever the subjects that you would want to equate with a liability and a weakness in your own flesh and when think in, that you would appoint as a liability on your ledger, God has given to you as an asset. And what he has given to you, what he has given to me, his instruction to us is simply to image the owner back and not to look at our differences and distinctions as liabilities. Our liability is sin. Our liability is rebellion. Our liability is disobedience. And on the cross, Jesus doesn't remove from us all of these individual characteristics that he has granted to us. Does that make sense? Who you are, how he's wired you, how he's gifted you, where he's appointed to you. That is an asset on your ledger. And God loves you and he sees you and he wants this equal relationship and this full understanding that you don't have anything to add to God. But he has given you all of his equity as a gift and it's awesome. This is the power of forgiveness. So... Turn to Romans 4. Hold your place there in Matthew because we'll come back to it. But I want you to turn to Romans 4. I'm giving you all this boring business education because the business education feeds into all of this gospel imagery. And Paul presses into this imagery in Romans chapter 4. He says, What then shall we say that Abraham our father found according to his flesh? So on his ledger in his flesh, in the assets of life that he has been given, what value was he found on his side of the ledger? For if Abraham was justified by works, he's got something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And here's, here's the link of faith and forgiveness. I believe God. I believe in him, and I believe in what he has said. I believe that he's the creator of the heavens and the earth. I believe that he's created me. I believe that he sent his son to die for my sins. I believe that Jesus rose again from the dead. I believe that he rose from heaven. I believe that he's coming back. That faith, I believe you, Lord, that you are 
and that you are who you say you are. That faith, that simple act of faith, grants God that power, that authority to remove all of the liabilities off of your ledger and account to you all of his righteousness. Powerful? This is, this is, this is where freedom lies. This is where victory lies. This is where peace, joy, happiness, the fruits of the Holy Spirit, kindness, gentleness, relationship with the Lord. It's all based on just this, Lord, I believe. And through that belief, you get all that he is as a gift. But he continues on, to him who works, to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. If you think that you can work to pay down your debt to God, the language is, is your work is actually increasing your liability. Because this gift of forgiveness that's accessed by faith, salvation is by his grace and his grace alone. It is a free grant and gift of his generosity to you. Powerful imagery. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, your faith is accounted to you for righteousness. Just as David also describes the blessedness, the happiness, the fortune of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. And he quotes Psalm 32. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. Now just sit in this idea for a moment. Jesus is, is giving us instruction in regards to our communication to God in prayer. That communication is often going to turn to God, I was wrong. Father, I made a mistake. Father, I was rebellious. I was disobedient. I was ignorant. I made the choice. I didn't know what I was doing. But it all boils down to, God, I am wrong, and I am broken, and I am weak, and I need you to wash away all of my sins through the sacrifice of your son. We're told in 1 John 1, 9, he is faithful and just to cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness through faith in Jesus Christ. And this is, the, this is the power in the freedom of faith. And this is the reality that as we mature in our relationship with the Lord, I know the feelings of doubt and discouragement. And I can't believe that I said that again. And I can't believe that I did that again. Am I even saved, right? And we get challenged in these ideas of doubt and discouragement and woe is me and I'm so weak and I'm such a loser. And the reality of faith is God has stripped away Everything that you would define as a liability in that relationship with God, you are free. When God looks at you, he sees nothing other than the gift that he has generously given and granted of himself to make you 
and sees you imaging him back to himself in relationship. That is the freedom of Jesus. That is the freedom of the gospel. That is the freedom in which we are to walk every single day of our life, whether you think it or feel it or not. This is the foundation of our faith. You have been forgiven, and it is a blessing. This is why we worship. This is why we serve. This is why we work. This is why we do. It's not because we're getting any attaboys. It's because how can I do anything else other than try and just love the one who loves me so much? Feel it? This is is the power and the authority of God and his declaration over you that your sins are removed and gone and will never be dredged up again through faith in Jesus Christ. That's his power. That's his authority. That's his right. Now turn back to Matthew. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 9. We're going to sit in this idea of forgiveness and faith and power repetitiously. So Matthew chapter 9, we have this scene, Jesus getting into a boat. He crosses over the other side of the Sea of Galilee, comes into his own city, Capernaum, verse 2. Then behold, they brought to him a paralytic, this man that's paralyzed. Just his legs, his arms, his legs, he's paralyzed in some fashion, lying on the bed. When Jesus, Note this, when Jesus saw their faith, who's there? The friends that are bringing him, the paralytic himself, Jesus sees their faith. And then he says to this paralytic, son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. Is that a powerful declaration? That power, that that declaration of Jesus' authority is directly linked to the faith of this man and of his friends, that Jesus has the power to do this. And now the conversation starts because whenever God says something, there's always this immediate challenge to whatever God says. And that's what starts in the conversation. At once, some of the scribes said within themselves, this is, Jesus is blaspheming. And here's the idea. Only God has the, the authority, the power to forgive sins. And they're right. Only God does have that power. So now they have to consider about who they're talking to. But this is what they're thinking in their heart. Like the words that just came out of Jesus' mouth to this man who is paralyzed because of his sins. Who do you think you are saying that this man's sins are forgiven by God the Father? Well... Jesus, knowing their thoughts, says, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, your sons are forgiven you, or to say, get up and walk? Which one's easier? To say it? Or for the miracle of this man to get up and walk? Which one's easier to say? It's easier to say, your sins are forgiven you. Now, as evidence of such, Jesus says, But that you may know, that you may know, understand, experience that the son of man has power on earth to forgive sins he said to the paralytic arise take up your bed 
and go to your house. And he arose and departed to his house. Now when the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God who had given such power to men. Now, clearly, Jesus just put the doubters in their place, right? He just demonstrated that he has the power to forgive sins and just demonstrated it by this miracle that was performed in this man's life, leaving the audience to proclaim glory to God. God, we are, we are thanking you and praising you that you have given this power. Is it to just Jesus or is it to all men? Who has the power to forgive sins? God, clearly, your sins. Do you have the power to forgive the sins of another human being? Yes or no? Good answer. Turn to John chapter 12. Uh, not John 12, John 20, please. Very last gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Hold your place in Matthew because we're going to jump back to a different story in just a second. But in the gospel of John... After Jesus has resurrected from the dead, before he ascended, there is this scene in John 20, 21, where it says that Jesus says to them again, Peace to you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. And this is the line that we're getting to. Verse 23 says, If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. How much power has God given to you in relationship with him? I want you now you got you have to boil this down to application in your life and your life experience. I know that you have a list of individuals, organizations, governments, whatever they may be that have offended you. Their words, their actions have caused you offense. Whether that offense is real in the sense of that is an offense against God or it's not so real and it's just your personal offense. Does that make sense? Where you can be offended and somebody has sinned against God and sinned against you and you can be offended where they haven't sinned against God and you're just offended by him anyways based upon whatever. So you have your list of those who have offended you. Now the question is, is have you forgiven them? And this is where I want you to understand the power dynamic of forgiveness. Jesus has given to you in relationship with him the power, the authority to retain the sins in a person's life and the power to free them from their sins. And this, this granting of this power and authority, it's, it's an image of him, right? He is the one who has that power, and he's granted to us the same power in relationships with others because he wants us to proclaim that gospel of freedom and forgiveness that any individual, regardless of what they've done to anybody else or what they've done to you, they have access to true freedom and true forgiveness in Jesus. This is this gospel proclamation that we are to... Uh, to proclaim to ourselves and to others. But here's the issue and here's the power play. By withholding forgiveness from another human being, we think and we feel we are keeping 
power in the relationship. By saying to somebody who has offended you, whether you're able to communicate it to them or not, by not having the willingness to forgive means that you're trying to hold power. I am offended. I am hurt. I have been sinned against. This person does not deserve. They have not asked. I am retaining their sins in my own soul and my own mind. We think that we are the ones that have the upper hand in that power dynamic. And the reality is, is we are the ones that are keeping our own souls, our own minds, and our own lives in a prison of our own soul. Because we're not willing to image God to other human beings as he has commanded us to do. So now turn back to Matthew chapter 18, and this idea is going to play out there. And by the way, I I put passages uh, for the wall, and there's a lot more passages in the Bible that will complement these ideas. This is the last section that we're going to look at this morning. But in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18, it's beginning with this conversation and an argument amongst the disciples about who's the greatest. You ever have this conversation? You may not have this conversation out loud. But we have pecking order conversations in our minds with ourselves all day long. Who do I have power over and who has power over me? Do you have to obey the speed limit? Yes or no? Because, well, you should. If you're in agreement with the power of the state that says, here's the limit of the speed that you can drive on this road, somebody has authority over you. And you can obey that authority or you can ignore that authority. Most of us ignore it. But this is this this dynamic of who's the boss of who. When you walk into a, a business meeting, you immediately know what the pecking order is. You know who's running the meeting. You know who the boss is. You know the tiers and the pecking order of that meeting. And you know exactly where you stand. And sometimes you want to edge yourself up a little bit. And other times you want to edge yourself down a little bit. This is the conversation that Jesus is addressing as he jumps into this this subject as we're talking about forgiveness. The boys, the church, they're having a little argument about who's better. What's the pecking order amongst the disciples? And in this, Jesus pulls a child into the conversation. He says, you want to be great? Your desire to be great, it's good. But here's how you're great in God's kingdom. You seek to be the least. You want to be great in the eyes of God. You want to be great in his kingdom. It's a good desire. We can pursue it through very sinful means, but the desire itself, here's how you go about it. You pursue humility with a zeal and tenacity above all other things. In your relationship with other human beings, you seek the foot of the table, you seek to wash the feet, you seek to be that help as God leads, as God directs in all of those conversations. Now in the midst of this, there's still, there's, All those tears are still there. We recognize all those things. We press into those things. But in this argument about who's being great, Jesus pulls this this child. 
And then he continues on this conversation with the child, pointing out to this whole idea of offenses. The boys are offending each other in their conversation about being great, and Jesus knows it. Feelings have been hurt. He's telling them all to pursue humility. And then he leads into the conversation of offenses are going to come in this world. You are going to be offended. Don't be the one who is the offender. Now, we all make mistakes. There's, there's cleansing, there's grace, there's mercy and relationship with the Lord and with one another. But he leads into this conversation of woe to the one who is causing offense in relationships with other human beings. You want to use your power in life to oppress another human being? Jesus uses the language woe. And it's, it's a tribulational shock language of woe to you if you want to take the assets that God has given to you and use that power to abuse another. Woe to you. It's better for you to cut off your hand than to enter into life maimed. It's better for you to pluck out your eye. This is the language that he's using. And then in this conversation in Matthew, then he leads into, do you not know that I came to seek and to save the lost, the ones that you're lording it over, the ones that you won't forgive, those are the ones that I came to seek and to search out. You don't think that heaven doesn't see the one that's on the outside and you're just focused on your own relationships of the 99 on the inside? Do you not know that I came to seek and save all those who are lost? So this is all of the the lead-in to the conversation that Jesus is using of, here's what I want you to do with the power that I have given to you. And he presses into verse 15 of chapter 18. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, and your brother is going to sin against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Don't spread it in gossip. Go have a one-on-one conversation. You've been offended. You've been hurt. Have the courage to have the conversation in gentleness, in kindness, in truth, in faith. If he hears you, you've gained your brother. If he will not hear you, take with you one or two more. That by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. Hey, do you need a mediator in that conversation? Do you need somebody else that sees what's going on in this other person's life and can, and can help mediate, not jump on and not do this uh, intervention and, you know, just go beat up on somebody? But, hey, can we, can I have some support and mediation in this conversation is the idea. And then if this individual refuses to hear them, then you bring it out publicly. This is starting to deal with, you know, church business in the family of somebody who is continuing in sin but refusing to be a part of this community based on faith and forgiveness. If he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. And let him go work out those things outside the church. We do need to protect the relationships within. This is all this idea. Verse 18, Assuredly, I say to you, These are these emphatic declarations of Jesus that he does all the time. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. 
Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. I love how misused that verse is because it's in the middle of this whole idea of forgiveness. Jesus is always in our midst. He always hears your prayers, just so you know. But in this idea of a community and remaining in agreement with one another demands that we forgive one another because we're going to hurt each other all the time because we're human beings. And just as we have received this gift of grace and forgiveness from God by faith, it is also by faith that we are willing to grant forgiveness by grace and faith in relationships with other human beings. Now, this whole idea of forgiveness, just it's this idea of letting go. When you retain, when you retain somebody's sin, when you retain somebody's debt, they are still bound. And that's the language that Jesus is using. But when you forgive, there's this, there's this letting go. It does not mean that the behavior was okay. It doesn't mean that the sin is now good. It doesn't mean that you have forgotten what this individual has done. What it does mean is that you are no longer attempting to lord over an individual in your mind, in your heart, in actuality, in that relationship. You have let go of the power that you have over them by willingly forgive. And I would submit to you that that is the more powerful action. It takes a lot more power to let go of that authority and that right than it does to retain it. It's easy to retain anger. It's easy to retain bitterness. It's easy to retain offense. It's easy to just, this person has offended me. They're out of my life. We're done. I don't want anything to do with them. God can love them. God can forgive them. But as far as me and them, we're done. That's going to eat you alive is what Jesus is getting at in this whole conversation. And then our brother Peter steps in because he's always mouthy and we love him because he asks the questions that we all ask in our head but aren't willing to say it out loud. Peter comes and says, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. Think about, think about the whole preceding conversation. One of the other disciples is Peter's brother, Andrew. Do you think Peter and Andrew have ever gotten into it as brothers? You get into it with family. I guarantee they had punching fights as brothers. I guarantee they said words to one another that they never said to anybody else. I guarantee that these guys as brothers had ample opportunity to demonstrate forgiveness towards one another in relationship as true brothers. So when Peter comes to Jesus, he's not just talking about church. He's just not talking about his religious brothers. How many times am I supposed to forgive Andrew? Seven times enough? Andy? Jerk, right? You can, you can picture the conversation. What does Jesus say? I don't say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. It's just number of perfection. As often as somebody is coming to you seeking forgiveness, forgive them. 
if somebody is committing an evil and a sin and they are not repentant, we have the authority as the church to say that is evil, that is wrong. Your sin is retained and your sin is binding you until you come to Jesus in faith, confessing that sin, looking for that debt and that obligation to be removed from your life. That's the authority that he has given to us. But in our relationship with other human beings that hurt us and offend us, we may have that right to declare with authority that an individual's sin is still retained in their relationship with God. But that's between you and God. As far as my relationship with you, you've hurt me. That's a sin. That is wrong. And whether you are confessing it and coming to me in repentance and seeking restoration and reconciliation or not, I am through faith in Jesus Christ, God help me. I'm releasing any power that I think that I have over you because I am not going to give you the power to control my identification in who the Lord has defined me to be and given me all of his assets as gifts. Does this make sense in this conversation? It is, it is, it is, in, it is an incredibly powerful reality to know and experience and live the absolute freedom of forgiveness and the victory over all sins and life. It is amazing. I know the angst of sinning again. I know what confession looks like. I know Psalm 51, backwards and forwards, Lord, my sins always before my eyes. Wash me and cleanse me. Don't take your Holy Spirit away from me. Restore to me the joy, the vibrance, the praise, the zeal, the tenacity of my relationship with you. And I am going to go and I'm going to tell everybody else about it. I'm not going to keep this gift to myself. I'm not going to keep this forgiveness to myself. I'm not going to hold on to it for myself. Your gift of forgiveness to me, Lord, it is so freeing. And I want to walk in that freedom today in making sure that if, if you have somebody, worship team, come on up. If you've got somebody who's hurt you, who's sinned against you, even if they've never come to you and looked for forgiveness and confession, they might not even be around anymore. I want, I want you to know the same power that Jesus has to declare your liability as gone and for you to be forgiven and cleansed and holy is the same power that in the same victory that he has given to you to declare over anybody that you may have in some mental and spiritual cage within your own soul. He's given you that same power to declare it in those relationships. They won't come to you. You go to them. Not in a fight, not looking to win, but in humility like a kid. This is what you did. You can't hide from it. I can't hide from it. I'm hurt. But I love you because Jesus loves you. And I'm going to forgive you whether you ask for forgiveness or not. That's between you and God.
But your words, your behaviors have nothing to do with my side of the ledger. My side of the ledger is who the owner of the heavens and the earth has made me and declared me to be. And who I am in my personality, in my life experience, in my weaknesses, in my strength, I'm who he says I am. And how dare I question and challenge God's definition of me by giving another human being the power to define who I am. You don't have that power over me, and I'm not going to give it to you, nor am I going to give it to the world, nor am I going to give it to the devil. God, let us hear your voice as you declare and proclaim who we are as your creatures in Christ, imaging you for eternity. How powerful is forgiveness? That's, it's awesome. Unforgiveness has just as much power to keep you out of his kingdom. If you do not forgive others, your father will not forgive you. Not my words, his words. So that means this power, this authority that he has given to us comes with a tremendous amount of accountability and responsibility. So we turn to worship. I want you to come up, grab communion. And I'm going to invite you just to take communion by yourself this morning. Not with another, not with a spouse, not with your family. Conversation between you and God. Who is, the, who is the name in your mind right now that you know that you need the power from God to forgive for what they've done to you, to somebody that you love? And seek God for that forgiveness, not only cleansing your relationship with him through his body, through his blood, through his sacrifice, through his life, but ask him for that power. And then walk in that power and that truth. I don't want to be a slave to unforgiveness. So God, give me the power of your Holy Spirit to be unbound in this relationship. This is your time between he and you. Is that proper English? Come on up. Let's stand again.